Beloved friend, please join me in prayer. Gracious Father, you've entrusted into our hands the ministry of the proclamation of your word. That through this ministry, you may bring more and more souls to your kingdom. Divide your word amongst us this morning by the move of your spirit. Remind us of this great task and cause us, Lord, to be swift in obedience. Explicate the truth in your word line by line and instruct us, Lord, in all wisdom that everyone may be taught of you and by your spirit to walk with you all the days of our lives. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Today, I will be teaching on the theme, Discipling the Nations, Part 2. And the sub-theme for today is the proclamation of the gospel. The proclamation of the gospel. The importance of this teaching at this segment of the teaching cannot be overemphasized. And friend, I encourage you to pay close attention to this teaching to take notes, to listen attentively, and to incline your heart to obedience. What I'm teaching today is the crux of the matter in the proclamation of the gospel, the purpose for which you and I and every other child of God, the purpose for which the church is existing in the form of a congregation or a local assembly to proclaim the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Turn with me, please, to Mark chapter 16, and I'll be reading verses 15 and 16 from the NIV. I intend to dwell on this passage, but also to visit other passages and scriptures to teach on this theme, the proclamation of the gospel. Jesus said to his disciples, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. But whoever does not believe will be condemned. The proclamation of the gospel by what I tag the word encounter is defined by me as the teaching or instructing clearly and authoritatively the good news of what God has done in Jesus Christ our Lord for the salvation of the sinner with an intention to persuade the listener to make a decision. What is the proclamation of the gospel? Again, I want to emphasize the proclamation of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ means teaching or instructing clearly and authoritatively the good news of what God has done in Christ Jesus for the salvation of the sinner and that teaching or instruction must have a deliberate intention to persuade the listener 
for the purpose of that listener making a decision for the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 10, verses 11 to 15. As scripture says, anyone who believes in Jesus will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus will be saved. The truth in the word of God is that all humankind, be they Jews or Gentiles, of whatever religions are called to one point of decision to choose between Jesus Christ and be saved or to reject him and be condemned. But the scripture unfolds the revelation of that process of saving sinners from death unto life by the agency of the servants of God. Friends, this is a mystery. This is a responsibility. This is an assignment which God has entrusted in his wisdom to the people of God. And the people of God, I mean those that have themselves experienced the salvation of Christ Jesus in their lives. They were once upon a time without God in their lives. But they embraced the gospel by the encounter of the gospel through a teacher or a preacher or an evangelist or whoever was God's agent at that material time to bring them the message of salvation that led them to salvation. From that moment, they are trying to become the messengers of the good news that they have experienced themselves to take that message to other sinners who need that salvation. The Bible says there's no distinction between the Jew and the Gentile, the same rule applies to all of humanity. And in a day, that rule applies to those that are churchians, who I mean are people that go to church. It's a good thing to go to church. But going to church does not bring you to salvation in Christ Jesus. It could bring you to the place you could hear the gospel, but in itself, it's not potent to bring you to salvation. So we raise the question, who is it that need to hear the gospel and be saved? And I will say, friend, that person that does not believe in God, or that person that believes in God but has not in actual fact received Jesus as Lord and Savior. He could be going to church. He or she may not be going to church. That distinction between the Jew and the Gentile that was of old was a pure distinction between the religious and the irreligious. That they were Jews did not mean they were automatically saved. They needed to personally, individually receive Jesus as Lord and Savior before the salvation was guaranteed. But the big question is, how do the people 
who are in far reaches of the earth, the people who are busy about their businesses, the people who are in doubt of the salvation in Christ Jesus and are about and everywhere scampering, finding ways and means in their own decisions and volitions of how they can be saved. Devising their own devices and all the means for which they could be saved. Like the moralists. Like the one that wants to do good and thinks doing good is good enough to be saved. The Bible says, everyone who must be saved must call upon the name of the Lord Jesus for their salvation. If they are then to call upon the name of the Lord for salvation, Romans chapter 10 verse 14 brings us to another conversation. How then can they call on the one they have not believed? The second question. And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? This is where the crux of the message today comes. And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? Salvation is premised on the work that Jesus has done on the cross. But that work on the cross, as efficacious as it is, will not be meaningful to the sinner, except and unless the sinner believes in what has happened. But that sinner cannot believe unless that sinner hears the gospel. And that sinner cannot hear the gospel except unless there's a preacher that is sent to that sinner to preach the gospel to the sinner. But friends, it is not just enough for people to willy-nilly rise to their feet to go into the exotic experience as in the missionary era in colonial times where people felt a sense of moving to other reaches of the earth for economic purposes, but also to explore the world and perhaps bring forth their religion as well to other parts of the world. The Bible tells us today very clearly, and how can anyone preach unless they are sent? The sending is as important as the messenger who bears the gospel. Are you sending yourself? Is a colonial establishment sending you? Is there myopic vision behind your sending? Are people just bearing into adventure in the name of going to pray the gospel? The motive, the propelling idea behind the one that sets out to preach. It's so important. The preacher of the gospel, who can be an agent in the hands of God, must be the one God himself has commissioned, God has sent to bear the message of salvation. Friends, I share these facts with you, bearing in mind, individuals that occupy some pulpits of the church, preaching to people of God, who were never sent by God to do that. I bear in mind those that have tried to find employment in other places and they cannot find those employments and they decide to employ themselves in the service of the kingdom of God to preach the gospel of Christ. Paul rightly said of such persons, some preach for their bellies and some preach for the prestige of it. But however be the motives of the preacher, the gospel of Christ is being preached.
in a certain way agreeing with Paul, but also adding to what Paul has said. It is more productive when the motivation for preaching is on the premise of you being sent by, as a servant of God. The emphasis of being sent is in the sense of you not taking it upon yourself because you will be on your own. But when one has sent you, there is a promise of a follow-up by the sender that you are representing him and most often your motives will be right. Friends, I bear in mind that when the motive for preaching is wrong, even though Paul argues that it is still the same gospel, the motive can become a distortion in the preaching of the gospel. Because it may just be a half-hearted duty, which is hardly productive as it concerns the winning of souls, because the message must come from the heart to reach the other heart, not from the head to the heart. It must be from the heart, propelled by the anointing of the Spirit of God, backed up by the God that has sent you as a messenger to preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. One has to preach because there is a message. One has to preach because it is only in the preaching that the sinner could hear. And one has to preach because he has been so sent to determine the fate of human beings that in them receiving that gospel, they will be saved and therefore will not be condemned. This is serious business, friend. In preaching the gospel, I wanted to understand, friends, that there is a rigor that is involved in it. But before speaking on the rigor of the proclamation of the gospel of Christ, which is a glorious gospel, I want to say to you, looking back in history, the preaching of the gospel, the proclamation of the gospel, has always had impediments to that activity. And the situation is not different today. Never in history was it convenient. Never in history was it a popular idea. Never in history was it an exciting business to go forth preaching the gospel. Yes, the excitement may come in the sense of you rejoicing in your persecution that you are reaping the fruit of obedience to the king. But it has hardly been a palatable experience. It has always been riddled by crisis, by pain, by afflictions, by difficulties, by obstructions for the governments that be in such times. Today, we have an impediment. A huge one for that matter. How would you approach somebody to teach, to instruct the person on the good news of what God has done in Christ Jesus for his or her salvation? When you're expected to maintain social distance, when you're expected to wear a mask, when you're expected to walk as quickly as you can, when you're walking past somebody you do not know, except members of your household, Whereas impediments have always existed to the proclamation of the gospel, at all times, God, by his spirit, has enabled his people to be creative, to be innovative in proclaiming the gospel. What are those things we can do today to show innovation and creativity in the preaching of the gospel? 
friends, the telephone can serve a purpose. You have the telephone numbers of your colleagues in the office and seek to talk to them in their spare time. You can have the, the, the telephone numbers of individuals you may have interacted with or you may have one device or another. And we may ask ourselves the question, how do marketing companies access our telephone numbers, our home lines, that they call us to market us, that they call us to do surveys? That is marketing for a business purpose. It's marketing for making money, the bottom line being making profit. We are to make profit for the kingdom of God. We have the greatest good news to bring to people, not the amount of dollars they will make, but even more so the fact of their souls being redeemed unto eternity. Creativity, innovation must still be the watchwords for the evangelists of today, for the witness of the gospel, for you wanted us to teach the gospel of the Lord Jesus. Pause for a silence and imagine ways and means you can evolve as a young person, as an elderly person. What are the networks that you have? How can you leverage on them to bring the good news? Because those friends you interact with are friends that need salvation. You can't be cold towards them anymore. How would you reach out to your staff in the place of work? How would you reach out to your colleagues in the place of work? Even though you have to maintain social distancing, going to have quick conversations, can you not send text messages? Can you not make a call? Can you not ask a Zoom appointment for you to have a meeting and a conversation? Leverage on every opportunity to talk to somebody about Jesus. Because somebody has got to bring a message. And the message can only be heard when there is a messenger willing to declare that message. Opening opportunities. Weaving into conversations, that conversation that is all important. So I suggest there could be a person-to-person -person encounter in proclaiming the gospel to the city. It could be walking by the hallway and saying a few words to somebody in a quick conversation. It could be standing in an open space, maintaining social distancing, but also speaking to somebody about salvation in Christ. Down the line, in course of this teaching, I will show you an example and will show you how to leverage on that example to bring in creativity and innovation in the spreading of the gospel. But other opportunities are also the literature evangelism, where you can write a track, where you can send it a PDF file, where you can place it somewhere. Those are also ways to create for the literature evangelistic campaign strategy. However, the place of the preacher is of paramount importance. The preacher does not need to be a clergy the preacher does not need to be a specialist in biblical theology. The preacher just needs to be a child of God. In our basic lessons of evangelism, we say, preaching the good news is the same as one that is a beggar that has found bread going to tell other beggars where he found bread. That is a simple way of person-to-person -person evangelistic campaign. 
where by the basis, on the basis, sorry, of what you've experienced, you can go to some other person and share in a conversation. The Bible does not need to be in your hands, but the Bible should be in your heart as you share the gospel. And sharing the gospel graciously, and sharing the gospel with a tender heart, with a loving heart, with prayers in your heart, that the listener may hear the words of life and believe. And that impediments and distractions may be taken away. Besides the impediments of decrees of governments that you do not go out proclaiming or preaching or bashing individuals with your religion or trying in one way or the other to impose your faith on others. Friends, whereas those legislations may exist in places, I want you to understand that the laws of the land may not be the will of God. Whereas you will not brazenly break those laws, you will in wisdom depend on the Spirit of God. There are places that the Bible must not be seen. But people put their lives on the line to smuggle Bible passages, Bible portions to bring them into those places. Friends, it is serious business. It is also dangerous business for you to preach the gospel. You may be persecuted by your friends. You may be queried if somebody found out. You may have your job in jeopardy. But that was how the people of old took the risk to spread the gospel. God honored their faith, and the gospel was brought to us. Some paid with their own lives and died. Some were troubled and, and, and treated with so much disdain, but they brought forth the gospel of the Lord Jesus because the gospel is a matter of life and death. The preaching of the gospel is a matter of life and death. Eternal death cannot be compared with temporal death, which is purely the departure of the soul and the spirit from the tabernacle, the body. Eternal death is total damnation. That's why Jesus said, whoever believes will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. The preaching of the gospel is a rigorous business. Not only rigorous because it's demanding, and demands a lot of sacrifices from us. It is rigorous because we have to pay close attention. We have to employ diligence. We have to be careful in what we do. If a surgeon is mindful of how to cut a patient's body right on the surgical table in the theater because he wants to spare life, he wants to ensure that the right business is done. When you're dissecting a soul for the kingdom of God, in the preaching of the gospel, you've got to do it meticulously. You've got to do it painstakingly. You've got to understand it's a decisive moment. And you cannot toy with that moment. Because that would be a defining moment for the soul. Colossians chapter 1, verses 24 to 28, gives us great ideas of what to do in this business of proclaiming the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus. Please turn with me to Colossians chapter 1, verses 24 to 28. Now, I rejoice in what I am suffering for you. There has to be an attitude, friends, in going forth to proclaim the gospel. That attitude must be an attitude of joy, rejoicing in your heart. That you have been called to this serious business 
by God himself. That rejoicing is important because you will be suffering in one way or the other. And if you do not rejoice in your heart, discouragement will easily set it. Rejoicing in your heart will counter the frustrations that goes with the business and the rigors of proclaiming the glorious gospel. So friends, bear in your heart an attitude of rejoicing. Rejoicing is not just joy. It is, in other words, the celebration of joy in itself. Joy that is celebrated is what I equate with what is called rejoicing. Why do you need to rejoice? Because you're engaging in the greatest business ever in life. Why? Because it is the business of winning a soul for the kingdom of God. Delivering one from eternal damnation to eternal life. The greatest gift you can give to anyone ever in the world. Rejoice in the sufferings that will come your way. And if I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, which is the church, which means you're living for a greater purpose, greater than just putting food on your table, greater than just buying a beautiful car, greater than just having a mansion to live in. That is a greater and more long-lasting investment with greater returns. You will be living for greater purpose suffering for the sake of the body of Jesus. Filling up the suffering of Christ, which means being a partaker in the suffering of Christ himself. Verse 25, I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. You are rejoicing also because it is a commission you are fulfilling. You are representing the interest of the kingdom of God. You are representing God to bring the fullness of the word of God onto those that need it. Verse 26. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of the mystery which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The business of the gospel, friends, it's about taking the goodness of what God has done in Jesus for their salvation. And that that good news be brought to the sinner for his salvation. The Bible says it was a mystery that was hidden for ages and for generations. That God in this mess in the fullness of time has disclosed to you and entrusted to your charge. To take it to those that sit in darkness. To take it to those that are hopeless. It is that Jesus Christ in their lives is the hope of glory. Hallelujah. The hope of glory in somebody's life is the fact of raising the person to a platform of living, which becomes glorious. Glorious in the present life and glorious in the life of the world to come. I need not remind you, friends, that whatever wealth you piled up in this life, the mansion, the beautiful cars, 
the beautiful accolades of education, of great business empires, as beautiful and lovely as those things may be, and indeed their world aspiring to acquire, none of them can be compared with the glory of eternity, bringing the souls of God that God has used it to win to the kingdom of God. Christ in you is what is the hope of glory. You see, those very distinguished persons. I was opportune to see it in classrooms with individuals, very fulfilled in their careers, very well celebrated wherever they are coming from. But I was amazed that it got to a defining moment in their lives when they were brought with important questions concerning who they really are and what life is all about. I saw men and weak men broken in tears. After we were chatting outside, I met men and women who never knew where their lives were headed to. Greatly celebrated men playing important roles in the lives of individuals and nations, running great business empires, living in opulence and affluence. Jesus was the missing piece in their lives. And that missing piece in their lives spelled doom in their lives. It was a disaster in their lives. As lofty as individuals around you in your office may be, there is a missing piece that only Jesus can bring to bear in their lives. Somebody said, in every human being, there is a God-shaped vacuum that nothing else can fill it. St. Augustine of Hippo said, for thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our souls are restless until they find their rest in thee. Jesus, in anyone's life, is the hope of glory. Not wealth not power, not influence, not accolades. Jesus, in anyone's life, is the hope of glory. It is the hope of glory, friends. You know it in your professional life, as great as you are. You come to that moment in your life and you ask yourself, what am I? They say, I am great and beautiful and wonderful. But you feel sometimes that emptiness in your life. But an emptiness in your life that is professionally driven or your life driven financially or driven by impressive accolades, that emptiness can only be satisfied by Jesus in one's life as the hope of glory. The Bible says he is the one we proclaim. So what is the gospel? The work of Jesus on the cross for the salvation of the sinner with the intention of winning that soul to the kingdom of God. That soul receiving Jesus into his personal life and saving. The proclamation of the gospel is not about do's and don'ts. It's not about stop fornication. It's not about stop smoking. It's not about stop telling lies. That is not the gospel. You are demanding an ethical code that should arise from a transformed life. Morality is not salvation. Salvation is in a person. He is Jesus. That must be the center of the gospel we proclaim. 
Paul said he is the one we proclaim. In the passage I read, verse 28, he is the one we proclaim. And how do we proclaim? We admonish, we teach everyone with all wisdom, no matter how exalted, no matter how powerful, we have a commission to them. We are not sent to the streets people only. We are not sent to the poor and the weak and those that have nothing in life. We are sent to those in the lowly states of life they have not. But we are also sent to the mighty men and women of our society. And we are to admonish them. We are to teach them in humility, in dependence on the Holy Spirit with all manner of wisdom, for what reason? So that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. And for that purpose, to this end, verse 29, which is so important, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. Watch the words. I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. This was the vigor through which the rigorous task of global evangelization was required from the beginning. Paul caught the vision. Everyone around the Lord Jesus caught the vision. When he entrusted this vision into their hands, they knew they had to toil for it. They knew they had to use their energies. They knew they had to use their resources. They knew it was going to be strenuous. They knew they would have sleepless nights. They knew they would be beaten by mosquitoes. They knew they would move to strange lands and places they were not familiar with. They knew they would not be anywhere in the comfort of their homes. They knew it would not be within the four walls of the church. They knew whether they be COVID-19 or they be COVID-20 or they be whatever, they were to risk to preach this gospel by all means. They will risk their integrity. They will risk their prestige. They will risk being shamed by individuals who say, why do you carry the Bible? Are you not too big to carry the Bible? Are you one of those hypocrites? Are you one of those people taking it to the extreme? Friends, I am wondering as I'm preaching to you today, how much you are committing yourself to the spreading of the gospel of Christ. Have you ever sweated for it? Have you walked under the sun to do that? Have you borne the risk of stretching your hand to give somebody a tract to be rejected? And somebody says, I don't need it. Are you one of those? You've never done it before? Yes, I know. But it's got to be a fourth time, a first time, a second time, a tenth time, and a lifestyle of preaching the gospel. I want to take you quickly to the place of feeling. A witness by excellence. Acts of the Apostles, chapter 8, verses 26 to 40. Acts chapter 8, verses 26 to 40. Friends, please turn to the passage. While I explicate that passage, I want you to note two things that are important. Number one, notice Philip's dependence on the supernatural guidance of the Holy Spirit. And how Philip carefully journeyed with the sinner from the place of spiritual death onto the place of life in abundance. I call it a journey. 
of transformation. Number two, notice the perfect combination between the move of God as God in omnipotent, in omniscience, in omnipresence, but also the agency of a servant of God in the combustion of a soul to the kingdom of God. Now, verse 26, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the, of the Kandaki, which means queen of the Ethiopians. That was a divine nudge. An angel prompted Philip. Who is Philip? Philip was one of the seven that were chosen to be deacons to assist in the distribution in the welfare of the community of faith, the early church. But Philip strayed beyond the boundaries of seven tables to bearing the gospel. How did he go about it? He depended on a divine assistance. Everyone that has to be a witness of the gospel, friends, in all times, everywhere, must understand that that endeavor is a combination of a divine assistance and a human agent. The angel spoke to Philip. Whitman Philip was opening the spirit. Whitman Philip knew as a child of God, the business of preaching the gospel was important to him. The angel spoke to him and he heard the angel go south. That was it. No further details. What we learn here that divine promptings may not be detailed, but you have to go in obedience because on the path of obedience will you receive further instruction. Philip went down the road, south, as he was told. As he got there, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, a man of great distinction. Who was this man? This man was a Jew, a practicing Jew. He was practicing Judaism. The man had gone from Ethiopia to Jerusalem to worship and was on his way returning to his home country. And while on the way was reading the book of Isaiah, his soul was not saved. Even though he was a, was a practitioner of Judaism, he was not saved. He was religious, but was not born again. Philip was nudged by an angel. He ran down the road. He met a man reading the book of Isaiah. In the Old Testament. Notice verse 29. The Spirit told Philip, Go to that chariot and stay near it. That's instruction number two. What did Philip do? Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. An angel spoke to him. He went there. He saw a man down the road. He was never told he would see a man. But he discerned, this is the purpose for which I was sent here. And right there in that place in obedience, the Spirit of God takes over from what the angel said. I said, go close to that chariot. The Bible says, Philip ran 
He did not argue. He didn't drag his feet. He ran and got close to the chariot as it was instructed. And there he was hearing this man reading Isaiah. And Philip proceeds from that instruction to say, do you understand what you are reading? The answer is very profound, friends. And the man said in verse 31, how can I, he said, unless someone explains to me. So he invited the man, Philip, into his chariots to sit with him. How can I understand? As literate as this man was, as rich and powerful and influential as he was, he did not understand. And he knew he could not understand unless somebody came to proclaim, to teach, to explain, to instruct him on what salvation was all about. That is the role you're called to play, friend. That is the role you're called to play. Verse 35 is important. Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. Hallelujah. This is an evangelistic strategy. This is a proclamation strategy. You begin from the known to the unknown. But in wisdom, with every manner of care, you must listen for the prompting of the Spirit of God to know how to connect the conversation and to tread it until it lands in the good news of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Philip began with that very passage and continued teaching him until he came to Jesus. Friend, you may engage with your colleague in talking politics. You may engage in talking about the coronavirus pandemic. You may engage in talking about a game of football or whatever be that point of interest that conversation begins. But you must listen for the prompting of the Spirit of God. How do I tailor this message to bring it to salvation? Because this is the greatest message this individual needs to listen to. It was much surprising, friends, that that soul was won to the kingdom of God. He came to the place of saying, Jesus, I receive you. And as they journeyed along the way, he found water and said, what should impede me from being baptized? What does that mean to us? I said the intention of preaching the gospel is to win the person, to persuade and lead the person to a decision. And that decision must land in the person being brought into the body of Christ. Baptism here for this Ethiopian eunuch was a means of initiation into the body of Christ. We are not just to scatter the gospel. Whether it yields the fruit of a soul one or not is not your business. That is not what the intention of you going forth to preach the gospel is. It is to be fixated. The fact of persuading and bringing the person to the salvation, to bringing it, making a decision and being initiated in the body of Christ. I want to quickly tidy up this message by pointing out to you that there's a proclamation by embodiment, but that is of a subsection. That proclamation is not the primary business of soul winning. And that is what is called gospel demonstration or the fruit of the gospel. 
What does that mean? It is your lifestyle. What is called practical Christianity. It's important to the spreading of the gospel. That as you preach the word, you proclaim the word, your lifestyle is important as well. But in the order of importance, the message always remains important. But besides the lifestyle, it's also like what we do on Saturdays. Giving the food to the community. Assisting people's needs. Doing certain things that will show the goodness of God in the lives of people. Never should those acts replace the preaching of the gospel. If that happens, you will be misfiring and putting the, 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 the cat before the horse. And finally, you take over territories by spiritual proclamations, occupying territories, as the Bible speaks in Luke chapter 19, verse 13. Jesus said, occupy till I come. In another translation of the Bible, the New King James Version translation says, do business till I come. We are to do the business of winning souls for the kingdom of God. Unto Jesus Christ, the master who has commissioned us in this enterprise, comes in finality. Please bow your heads to pray with me. Mighty God, we brought forth your word by the enabling of your Holy Spirit. I pray that, Lord, you enable your people, Lord, to go forth serving the interests of the kingdom of God, making a move today that they may never have moved, made before. Reward them bountifully with your goodness as they receive this teaching today with joy and gladness. And as they begin to make moves, breaking boundaries and barriers, refusing to be discouraged, refusing, Father, to be put by the side, but to play a key role in the center of the business. Thank you for what you have done. Glory and honor belong to you forever. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen and amen. <laughs>